Hello everyone and welcome to the April 19th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our crime report. The owner of a San Jose flooring company faces premium fraud felony charges after being caught lying that he had only a single full-time employee and not paying close to $1 million in overtime to the numerous employees who were working for him. 33-year-old Martin Helda of all Bay Area floors is facing 20 felony counts of workers' compensation premium fraud, employment development department fraud, and wage theft. The investigation began after an insurance audit revealed that Helda's payroll did not match the number of people he had working for him. A district attorney investigation uncovered that Helda withheld at least $900,000 in overtime wages owed to employees known to the EDD, but possibly as much as $1.7 million owed to all employees, including those not known to the EDD. Law enforcement is looking for other victims who work for Helda's company. Because of scant employee records, the district attorney's office cannot identify many of the workers who could, who could be eligible for compensation. Workers for Helda at the All Bay Area Flooring Company are asked to contact district attorney investigators. Chiropractor Joser Del Zavala Candelario an Irvine resident, was sentenced to 36 months in custody for his participation in two huge health care fraud schemes, one involving the California workers' compensation system and also for concealing income he received from those multi-million dollar schemes from the IRS. He was the owner of Candelario Chiropractic and Rise Medical Center, DBA Rise Wellness Center, which operated at multiple locations in the Southern California area. Candelario pleaded guilty to a three-count superseding information charging conspiracy, conspiracy to commit health care fraud, and false statements on a tax return. In addition, Candelario carried an unlawful cross-referral scheme in which he would receive new workers' compensation patients for RISE wellness. In return for new patients, Candelario agreed to meet a quota for the value of ancillary services and DME he was expected to prescribe for each patient sent to him by his co-conspirators. This was such as $30 to $50 per MRI referral. Candelario, who could function as a work comp primary care provider, dictated the same treatment plan for all workers' compensation patients, regardless of their individual medical needs, so he could fraudulently bill insurers. He received about 529 new work comp patients as a result of the scheme, and he submitted in excess of $6.5 million in bills to insurers for those patients. Separately, he has been charged and has pleaded guilty in San Diego Superior Court to concealing an event affecting an insurance claim in violation of the California Penal Code. In the federal case, Candelario carried out a scheme to defraud Medicare and TRICARE, 
out of millions of dollars by using physical therapy codes to bill for supposed physical therapy services performed on patients by individuals who were not licensed to provide physical therapy. This included chiropractors, massage therapists, physical therapy aides, and an acupuncturist. Candelario told patients that Rise Wellness offered an integrated approach to wellness to convince patients to accept physical therapy, acupuncture, chiropractic, and diagnostic services at Rise Wellness. This is all in order to fraudulently bill for non-covered services provided by unauthorized individuals. Once patients came in the door, he pushed his staff to conduct diagnostic tests on every patient, regardless of their medical necessity. He also demanded that staff meet quotas for the minimum number of diagnostic tests and recommendations for durable medical equipment, massages, and other services, regardless of whether specific patients needed the items and services. To increase billing and payment, he pushed the schedulers to cram in as many as 50 patients per day for each provider. 60-year-old Marion Piggy Jr., who lives in Los Angeles, was arraigned on seven counts of insurance fraud after an investigation by the California Department of Insurance revealed he was allegedly underreporting employee payroll by nearly $6 million in order, in order to fraudulently reduce his business workers' compensation insurance premium by over $1 million. An investigation started after the State Compensation Insurance Fund filed a suspected fraudulent claim with the Department of Insurance alleging potential insurance fraud. Skiff reported that Peggy, as owner of the Center for Behavioral Change, which is an adult residential care facility, allegedly underreported his employee payroll. The Center for Behavioral Change reported one employee and payroll wages exceeding $8,000. However, an audit revealed wages to be nearly $882,000 for the same policy year. Investigators found that the Center for Behavioral Change had 60 employees despite the reporting of only one employee. It also showed Piggy's business had obtained workers' compensation insurance for only one facility, but failed to disclose they had also acquired eight other facilities. Thus, the business underreported payroll by nearly $6 million, which resulted in a premium loss to Skiff exceeding $1 million. Mr. Piggy was arraigned at the Los Angeles Superior Court, and this case is being prosecuted by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. 49-year-old James Wood, who lives in Simi Valley, pled guilty to two felony counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. At the time of his guilty pleas, Wood paid full restitution to the victim insurance carrier, again the State Compensation Insurance Fund. He paid $152,000 restitution. Wood was a general contractor, and he has operated Wood Construction Company since March 1997. He admitted to representing his total payroll and number of employees between 2015 and 2017 to fraudulently obtain lower workers' compensation insurance premiums. 
Sentencing in this case is scheduled for May 13, 2021 at 9 o'clock a.m. at the Ventura County Superior Court. Wood faces a maximum sentence of six years in jail. And in regulatory news, after patiently waiting for COVID-19 vaccine guidance in California, employers now have some clarification from California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing. As some had expected, the guidance aligns with the EEOC's guidance issued last December 2020. The law firm of Fisher Phillips has commented on the top five takeaways from this guidance for employers about COVID-19 vaccines. Number one, an employer may require employees to receive COVID-19 vaccines. Consistent with the EEOC's guidance, the DFEH states that with certain exceptions, employers may require at-will employees to receive vaccines issued under the FDA's emergency use authorization procedures. Number two, if an employer requires vaccination against COVID-19 in its workforce, the employer must reasonably accommodate employees with disabilities or with sincerely held religious beliefs or practices. Even if an employer may mandate vaccines amongst its employees, it does not mean it has free reign to require the vaccine for all workers. If an employee objects to vaccination on the basis of disability or sincerely held religious beliefs or practices, the employer must engage in the interactive process to identify options for reasonable accommodations that do not cause undue hardship. Number three, an employer is not legally required by the FEHA to reasonably accommodate all employees who refuses the vaccine. The employer is permitted to enforce reasonable disciplinary policies and practices if it's not retaliating against any employee for engaging in protected activity, such as opposing practices prohibited by the DFVH. Number four, If an employer administers a COVID-19 vaccination program, an employer may ask employees for medical information relevant to vaccination. It may ask for medical information such as whether an employee is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms or use a pre-vaccination screening questionnaire, so long as the inquiry is job-related and consistent with business necessity. And finally, takeaway number five, An employer may require its employees to provide proof of vaccination. Simply asking employers or applicants for proof of vaccination is not a disability-related inquiry, nor religious creed-related inquiry, or medical examination. Despite the wording of this guidance, the five takeaways require caution and guidance before implementation. The DFEH material should be, therefore, read in its entirety. The Division of Workers' Compensation announced its Eureka Satellite Office will close the physical location located at 409 K Street on July 1, 2021. And from then on, its operations will remain only online. By most accounts, the virtualization of matters proceeding through the litigation process has been a positive experience for the workers' compensation industry. 
The Eureka Satellite Office has conducted operations virtually since the COVID-19 pandemic began in 2020. Additionally, depositions have been successfully taken online, and some medical evaluations have been successfully performed by telehealth. After July 1, all Eureka matters will continue to be heard either by phone or video, even after COVID-19 restrictions are eased. As of July 1, all filings that are sent by U.S. Mail should be directed to the Santa Rosa District Office. It is not known if this is a precursor to the new normal or just the destiny of one of the smaller and remote offices of the statewide system. Over the next few months, the virtual evolution, if there will be one, will likely become more transparent. In this time of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, the workplace of the future will look different than it does now. For some companies, offering telecommuting services to be, seems to be a viable option. At the other end of the spectrum, some employers will likely continue to require high physical proximity working environments for the foreseeable future. The National Council on Compensation Insurance, that's NCCI, conducted interviews with several industry professionals to better understand what the future workplace might look like and how new challenges are being addressed. In speaking with interviewees, the NCCI consistently heard that employers have taken similar measures and developed multifaceted risk mitigation strategies, such as working remotely when possible, applying social distancing, conducting health and system screenings, cleaning and disinfecting, implementing workplace layout changes, and limiting visitors. Some employers were able to move to a full telecommuting model within a very short time, while others used what might be called a hybrid approach, that is implementing safety controls for jobs that must be performed on-site, while encouraging telecommuting for employees who can effectively perform their jobs from home. Employers are looking for ways to reduce travel and human-to-human contact, which may impact workplace congestion, shift work, group training, overnight travel, and the use of cleaning chemicals and tools and equipment. New technologies are enabling more physical distancing to address infectious disease prevention. Examples include virtual meetings and training sessions, as well as touchless transactions, touchless printing, and wearable technology that supports contact tracing and signaling to prevent close physical proximity. Insurance companies who were surveyed said they have many interactions with their customers in various ways, which are critical in this time. Insurers' roles involve exposure assessment, claims mitigation, loss prevention, audits, and so on. Insurers indicate they have taken similar proactive approaches and have already started to develop new evaluation methods to address physical proximity exposures, while simultaneously providing education and services to their customers. Examples in the insurance industry include using telesurveys and virtual visits for analysis, loss prevention, and audit services to cut back on in-person activity. 
A new series of studies called CompScope Benchmarks, 21st edition, from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute provides in-depth analysis of cost per claim and other performance metrics across 18 state workers' compensation systems for claims with experience through March 2020. The 18 states in the study included California. The following are sample findings for some of the study states. The California study showed total cost per claim with more than seven days of lost time in California have been mostly stable since 2010. In 2019, the most recent year in the study period, total cost per claim increased 4%, which was largely driven by a 6% increase in indemnity payments per claim. But in Florida, total cost per claim had been growing moderately at 4% per year, at all claim maturities. In 2019 and 2020, this measure increased 8%, driven by faster growth in indemnity benefits and medical payments per claim in the latest 12-month valuation. Growth in cost per claim in Florida since 2014 was faster than in most states. In Georgia, Total cost per claim with more than seven days of lost time have remained fairly stable in Georgia since 2008 and were higher compared with other study states. Higher indemnity benefits per claim and litigation expenses per claim in Georgia were the main drivers of the higher than typical total cost per claim. And in Illinois, total cost per claim have grown between 1 and 3% per year since 2012. For more information on these studies, please visit the Workers' Compensation Research Institute website. The sections of the Social Security Act, known as the Medicare Secondary Payer Provisions, were originally enacted in the early 1980s and have been amended several times, including by the MMSEA Section 111 Mandatory Reporting Requirements. Medicare has been secondary to workers' compensation benefits from the inception of the Medicare program in 1965. The liability insurance, including self-insurance and no-fault insurance, Medicare secondary payer provisions were effective December 5, 1980. Workers' compensation is a primary payer to the Medicare program for Medicare beneficiaries' work-related illnesses or injuries. Medicare beneficiaries are required to apply for all applicable workers' compensation benefits. If a Medicare beneficiary has workers' compensation coverage, providers, physicians, and other suppliers must bill workers' compensation first. If responsibility for the workers' compensation claim is in dispute and workers' compensation will not pay promptly, the provider, physician, or other supplier may bill Medicare as primary. If the item or service is reimbursable under Medicare rules, Medicare may pay conditionally, subject to later recovery, if there is a subsequent settlement, judgment, award, or other payment. The Benefits Coordination and Recovery Center, that's the BCRC, consolidates the activities that support the collection, management, and reporting of other insurance or workers' compensation coverage for Medicare beneficiaries. The BCRC 
assists in the implementation of Section 111 mandatory reporting requirements as part of its responsibilities to collect information to coordinate benefits for Medicare beneficiaries on behalf of CMS. Section 111 adds mandatory reporting requirements with respect to Medicare beneficiaries who have coverage under and who receive settlements, judgments, awards, or other payments from workers' compensation. CMS continues to update and implement the Section 111 reporting requirements. And accordingly, on April 5, 2021, CMS published Section 111 User Guide version 6.3. AB 1465 would require the DWC Administrative Director to establish a statewide medical provider network called the California Medical Provider Network, or CAMPN. The bill was introduced in late February and was referred to the Assembly Committee on Insurance. The proposed law would establish that an employee may choose to treat within their employer's network or the CAMPN. The bill would require that the providers in the California MPN be sufficient to enable treatment for a variety of injuries in all parts of the state. The bill would specify criteria physicians must meet to be included in the California MPN and would require inclusion for those physicians that meet this criteria. The bill would require the administrative director to establish rules and procedures for the California MPN and create and adopt a continuity of care policy. All treatment within the California MPN shall be provided in accordance with the medical treatment utilization schedule, which remains presumptively correct and treatment within the California MPN shall be subject to utilization review and independent medical review. The California Coalition on Workers' Compensation in partnership with the American Property Casualty Insurance Association, California Chamber of Commerce, the California Association of Joint Power Authorities, and Public Risk Innovation Solutions and Management is opposing proposed AB 1465. This coalition claims it would undermine the system of providing medical care in California's work comp system and lead to significant cost increases for employers, as well as lower quality care for injured workers. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports. You can use your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Fols with Floyd Scarin, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.